0: Welcome to this episode of Founder Tech Decoded. I'm delighted on this episode to be talking to Justin Langen from Uncapped, who are pioneering the use of what we would call Founder Tech in the venture space essentially looking at different instruments to leverage venture in much more agile and fluid ways that are more debt-orientated or balanced, should we say, with debt and equity. Traditionally, obviously in the early stage space, particularly in pre-seed, seed, seed, and even early stage series A, um, equity has been seen as the default go-to for funding from founders. And there is a lot of movement in the space, of which Uncapped are one of the main players, um, pioneering the blend of debt and equity and other financial models in order to make that early stage funding um, more accessible, more fluid, more adapting to the founder and the startup's needs um, bespoke. Um, so it's a real pleasure, Justin, to have you on the show and to kind of be exploring this aspect of Founder Tech with you.
1: Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, let's get, let's get started with why you think the timing is right for this shift in venture? Like, is it is it about now? Could it have happened a few years ago? And where do you think the next two, three years might lead us, given where these innovations are occurring in the venture space?
1: I think it's been such an interesting sort of nine months in my tenure at Uncapped. When I joined, the venture markets were pumping and debt was sort of an afterthought for a lot of businesses. Um, specifically, we focused on the e-commerce sector to begin with. And it was always an opportunity for us to be helping businesses with their working capital in that space. But then now, as we've looked at it on the broader tech ecosystem, we've just seen a complete realignment of how businesses and VC funds both have their attitude to debt. I mean, it's no secret that there's been a dramatic slowdown in the equity funding market, right? The top 10% of businesses are still seeing massive opportunities to go raise rounds and they can still definitely go and get overscribed rounds if they have the revenue numbers and they have the route of profitability that the venture market's sort of demanding at the moment. But for the rest of the businesses and also for those top businesses, there's just been this readjustment in terms of how we want to think about a healthy balance of debt and equity. How I think that's going to play out in the next 12 to 18 months. I mean, the market is likely to really struggle for a while. I think no one has a crystal ball, but considering no one's really declared recession yet, I think we still have a little bit of work to do to wait and see what happens. But beyond that, there will be a recovery, but I think it might just promote a little bit more sensibility than we might have seen in the past two,
0: three years. So so if we try and develop a a case study, a portrait, what is the right founder that should be looking at a blend of debt and equity. Where where is that found in their journey? What are the problems that they're facing in kind of typical venture conversations? And how can they leverage, you know, instruments and and tools that you offer to think about their funding options in different ways? Sure. So I think
1: the first thing is that debt is not an emergency vehicle, right? You can't come with two months of runway left and ask, ask a lender like Uncapped or anyone else in the market for a runway extension loan, because it gets very difficult for our risk profiling as well. I think the right founder, the right profile, especially if we look at it in the SaaS market, is somebody that has got that route to profitability, they've got positive unit economics, and they want to start employing some more growth levers, but they don't want to go and take a round right now because, as I'm sure we've all seen, revenue multiples for valuations have really declined over the past six, nine months. So we, what we're trying to do is kind of give that bridge of a gap and say, hey, look, because we're completely non-diluted, we don't take any warrants in your business. Yeah. Your pricing will not be affected in any way by taking money from us. And if we can get you to that point where your metrics look stronger, so if, if you want to go for your Series A or go for your Series B, you won't have been affected by taking money on now in the same way that you might have been had you offered a VCA convertible loan note.
0: And is there a term for that kind of financing is there a beyond debt financing is there another term that's entered the market that people should listen out for and can investigate or is it still called debt financing
1: i think all of us are trying to coin different terms at the moment um obviously venture debt has a few varieties of it they do contract factoring in in a slightly different way to the way that we are trying to push out our product to the market um, revenue-based financing has become a bit of an umbrella term for everything, yeah. but that market is so nascent. I mean, it's only three to four years old in in Europe anyway. So getting a real perspective on how to label label it, especially on the SaaS side, gets a little bit confusing. I myself personally like to call it non-diluted funding because that really focuses on the core of what we're trying to do. We're trying to help the founder get the capital they need to grow their business and run their business.
0: I really like that. I think non-diluted um, funding is really, really good. Um, you know, we've we've heard the term agile funding around our, um, other aspects of this, particularly in the legal space. Um, and I think non-diluted fun- uh, funding really gives the founder kind of a north star as to what this is and to understand it. Um, you've just come back from SAS stock, right, uh, in, in in Dublin. Did you did you see um, people using this kind of non-diluted funding and what were those kind of conversations because i guess that's a good litmus test of kind of where people are at their responsiveness to what you were saying be good to hear that experience
1: yeah i think both from the founder side and from the vc side the conversations are much more prevalent now than they've ever been i think people really understand the value of what we're doing because we don't necessarily have to go in alongside an equity round like traditional venture debt vehicles had to and the number of founders that come up to you and say really want to learn about Uncapped and how it works, the number of bootstrap founders you're actually running profitable businesses who, who are trying to figure out how they can move the, the growth levers on their business. They're also so fascinated by the product. I mean, there's obviously a number of people emerging in the space, which which we like, right? Because it validates that we're doing the right thing and we're going after the right market. And if and if a bunch of us can drive each other to do the job better, then that's great for founders and obviously great for us to, to
0: remain competitive. Do, do you think that is the again going back to the timing and getting going back to that response, it must have been really amazing to see that people were kind of coagulating around what you were saying. That maybe do you think even maybe like a few years ago there might have been a stigma around what you guys do, like that would have sort of almost stopped people approaching you and that, that actually that stigma is is uh being removed and, and also I guess, you know, just wearing that founder tech hat that people are more open to using different platforms and models to facilitate their kind of their their, their founder startup general, so also the the, the the way that they engage with funding. Do you think all of that is kind of like maybe coalescing is too strong a word, but as you said, it's nascent, it's starting to be something that's understood.
1: Yeah, look, I think I think you're spot on there. I think the, the first bit is historically debt has got slight a slightly dirty word. Um, And there's only really in the past four or five years, you have a few emerging players who sort of trying to make it a friendlier ecosystem for businesses in the early stages who need to try and take some debt out. I think we've all seen the stories from like three or four years ago where you have these really aggressive lenders charging really high APRs. And that's really not what we or our direct competition are about. We're all about trying to facilitate growth for these businesses with what we believe is a fair rate. And um, with regard to your second piece, which was around the openness of data sharing, I think that is really nascent still. I think that is something that we're really trying to work on. And it's sort of how our model drives efficiency and how it gives us the speed that we're able to make the decisions that we make. If a founder is open to sharing the integrations that they're using for their accounting or their subscription management or their bank account, we can get such a quick 360 view on the health of the business and try and turn that money around super quick and make it as efficient on their end. We're starting to see this really tick up in our business. And I think that's driven by the growth in platforms like Xero, ProfitWell, all of these other charge fees, yeah. et cetera, that are able to just pull all this data and make it really clean and make that integration so quick. And I think we can lean on softwares like Kodak, which just allow us to integrate all of into all of those different ecosystems, which gives such a huge opportunity for not only quicker lending, but more efficient and more sustainable and more trustworthy lending.
0: Yeah, I think this comes up again and again in different, um, just different forms. Um, so I recently talked to Francesco from Silicon Roundabout um, and he's launching a venture fund. And he was talking about, he, he used Vorban to give him, enable himself to behave like a fund, you know, like bank enable him to do things that he wouldn't have been able to do. He's sort of sort of like a solo capitalist. He has partners. Um, we were talking, it comes up, like I said, again, and again, it's almost like well, what 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 this founder tech conversation is, is all of these API's connecting, right, and doing different things in a much more efficient way, that feel very like how you would design the venture space if you were to take a fresh piece of paper you would join or draw the nodes right that you needed for all different conversations you would connect them all and that's how you would build it and you've kind of got this yeah. legacy model trying to catch up or innovate and it's that paradox you know the venture will disrupt any other model but it's kind of it's slowly catching up and i think what you're Absolutely. describing yeah which is strange right it's strange and not strange but but i, I don't know if you've seen the um the spotify um, documentary on Netflix called The Playlist. It's all about the birth of Spotify and the conversion of the record companies. And they were kind of in a similar boat where they knew that obviously they had to replace piracy with something, another model. They knew that digital was obviously where that was going. You know, they obviously knew that streaming was, but the leap to get there, it's in some cases, still hasn't happened fully, you know. Um, it, 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 and I think Venture is in that same kind of uncanny valley, kind of like paradox, like, it it knows that it needs to move to all of these things. What you're describing obviously needs to be the experience on both sides from a founder and investor that all of these APIs are connected, um, and you and, you know, and it works instantaneously and it enables, and this is the key other part, it enables, it doesn't replace the human decisions, it just it just facilitates all of the things that don't where humans don't really add value or where actually there's inefficiencies in the in in the value chain and what it then does by doing all that really well it elevates the actual high value conversation between investor and founder um where there's actually superhuman things going on this reading of all of like the actual the, the 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 high value dynamics but also like what's come the term comes up a lot this is things like subsurface cues and and like you know founder readiness and all of the other stuff that is actually much higher value functions become more valuable and more and more important and how people differentiate themselves because this other stuff is being all automated do you it sounds like you see like that like that's that's where this is heading to as well but but i'd be interested in your view on all of that
1: yeah, I mean, look, if technology can enable like clearer, better relationships, like that is a win-win for everyone in the ecosystem. I find it so interesting that VC, given that they bet on the future so intensely, is still such a relationship-driven business. Yeah. I actually really like what the guys over at uh, Landscape are doing to try yeah. and democratize that yeah. and open it out to everybody. Um, and then it's if someone can crack that deal flow platform, it could be such a valuable piece. But there just seems to be a reluctance to to really engage with it, engage with it on a large scale. I mean, a lot of people have tried, right? A lot of people have tried to give that platform for great founders to connect with great investors. Yeah. Um, But it it is obviously a very difficult point to overcome that especially in the early stage, it's much more about the field and about the data. And then obviously as as the later stage happens, I think those relationships are so ingrained already within the network because it is such a close ecosystem. Um, You're just seeing, you're seeing very little change from the norm. Now, what I really like about what we do is we're looking purely at the metrics of the founder. Yeah. So it means we're actually pretty blind to the rest of the business. If you're running a really good business and your capital efficiency is strong, the likelihood of you getting a loan from us is very high, right? Um, give, or, give or take, and there's, there's really complicated stuff in there. We really try and focus on, is your business good? Do we think you'll be able to pay us back? And that's the fundamental thing about the kind of lending that us and our competitors are trying to do right we're really trying to focus on the top performing founders as opposed to looking towards the relationship side now at the same time my role at caps is really entwined within the venture community so i mainly work with vcs to support their portfolio fund portfolio companies so it's a huge part of my life as well being within those relationships but yeah if i can so so the sell that I'm giving to VCs is when I pass deal flow from our portfolio from the businesses that we've invested in, they fundamentally know that unit economics are strong, right. The business is running itself sustainably, and that the founder is doing something pretty impressive behind the scenes, and that qualified deal flow can be really valuable.
0: Super. I mean, I I think that's the the other massive benefit you've got like you know the non diluted capital, but you've also you are. No, I, I don't doubt whether you say you're doing due diligence or rubber stamping, but you are you are creating a window into that business and that founder that can then be leveraged, as you said, into other conversations because by going through your process, it do, it means the VC in their funnel doesn't have to filter those metrics in, in a way. You, you've done that and, and you haven't done that in a sort of like arm's length, we just give you a score. You've done that and you've given these people cash and you've seen how they behave with that cash and that has to be incredibly value, right? Right. When you're taking that into the series A and beyond, to have that, it's not IP, but you know what I mean. Have have that kind of intelligence within your company, be able to draw on that. That mu- that must be part of the sale, right? I know. I know you're. You know, you needed a few people to kind of go through the life cycle of what you're doing to be able to kind of properly illustrate that. But that must be where you think you might be landing, right? Where you could give the founder not just the cash, but that form of intelligence into the business that can then be leveraged elsewhere.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's definitely our ambition at Uncap to start building opportunities for these founders to see what they need to do to become venture-backable as well, if that's their ambition. I mean, look, we talk about this in in this the whole time, but not every business needs to have a VC behind them. Like yeah. That's not the reality. Um, but for those ones that have the ambition of going to Series A, if we can feed in the data points that we're seeing across the market, Like, how cool would that be? I think it'd be such an interesting opportunity to really dive into, like, helping founders optimize their own finances by taking a loan out. Like, really, really fascinating. Bit of work to do, though, to get there. (laughs)
0: I'll I'll give you a strange parallel. I think it was like number two or three conversations in in the Family Tech Decoded um, series one, which was a while back now. Um, And we talked to Tanya Diggory from Karma. I don't know if you know, they work around mental health Mm -hmm. and startups. and, 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 um, and, And she was talking about that we need to evolve the mental health discussion so it's not uniform and actually well-being for different people so if you have a startup let's say you've got like eight people in the world whatever 12 people it, you know small but enough to have different personalities and different dynamics that kind of stuff you, you need know, to through a, at least a couple of rounds to build and sustain that kind of team she said in that team you're going to have the well-being for each of those people is very very different it's calibrated very very differently you know so there would be one person because i was mocking the People get up at five in the morning if you're one of those people i apologize but you know like and then boast about it and be like i'm up at five and she was like yeah but there may be someone in the team that really performs well at, at, in that time you know they may be they're a parent a young parent and they actually that's their slot but equally there may be people at 3 p.m who have their killer couple of hours and all of the other that was like the most mundane form of it and she was saying wouldn't it be good if businesses had that intelligence on their employees and could design accordingly and it was just like another form of sort of well-being intelligence That she said there's a long way off but she was sort of positing and we were discussing that what what would happen if you had that and in a way you're sort of you're uncovering a a different kind of intelligence a financial intelligence that can be leveraged again to make the company better um, without having to sort of you know without having to sort of analyze the founder to analyze that themselves or present that for themselves or have to kind of I don't know bring in consultants to leverage if that can be kind of made much quicker that gets them as you say not over, not all of them will need venture capital But if they do suddenly need more capital to grow to have that baked in and proven over time has to be an asset right? i don't know would you, would you view it like i said would you view that as an asset would you view it as like intelligence would you view that as ip how would you how would you sell that to the founder of like you can now have this as part of your whole suite of resources to leverage going forward? How, how, how do you frame those conversations?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think for us, the real key is we just want to be in a position that we can give founders flexibility to, to decide how they want to grow their business. Um, and Piotr, our founder, can probably correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think the big ambition is to just become the financial partner for these founders in the long run. So. If a business wants to continue to bootstrap and doesn't need to take that VC money, then awesome, we're we're happy to be your partner for as long as you need us. But we recognize that we are not the only financial instrument in the industry, nor would we like to be. So if we can enable them to move on to that next stage, and if we can, A, give them the guidance to get to that point, which is what we're doing really intensely now by creating a big knowledge hub. We've just put a lot of uh, effort into raising a team there so we can start to educate founders about, What are VCs looking for? What would you need to do to get to that next stage? And then if not only, if we could not only educate them, if we could actually enable those introductions through the work that we've been doing with those VCs already, I think it has to be valuable, right? Yeah. Especially if the VCs get to a position that they trust in us and they believe in us and our credibility is there, which I think we've really done quite a lot of work towards building. Um, yeah, I think founders should hopefully be very receptive to that.
0: I, I totally agree. That was actually leads my next question. When you talk to VCs, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, part of your job is to go and be very active and understanding of what that community wants and is, is moving towards. What are they saying that they want to see? You know, uh, when you would, you know, from you when you've engaged with a founder. Again, I imagine there's sensitive stuff there, but the, what, what what was sort of like the, the top line signals of what they want to see from a founder in that stage?
1: So actually, to take it a step back in terms of the SaaS product, for example, which I think is the most relevant to this discussion. Yeah. Um, the way that we built the product was very much with VCs in mind in terms of how they look at their opportunities. So we have a good understanding about the high level metrics that they focus on, be that their net revenue retention, their churn rate, their monthly growth, et cetera. And then we kind of reverse engineered a product in which we could say, how can we underwrite for business growth in the future? So fundamentally, if we're taking on a series A business, we're really thinking about, do we think this business has series B potential for metrics? A, you're gonna build a business that's gonna turn profitable in the next 12, 18 months or so, if you want it to turn profitable. And then that is a big, that's a big sign for us. But then second of all, we think, okay, cool. Do we think that these metrics would stand up to the investors that we know very well with whom I speak on a monthly, quarterly basis? to really understand like what is interesting for you guys would you like to be talking to this founder and give me your exact metrics so i can make sure everything i send to you is not only just really targeted but is a really perfect fit for what you guys are looking for as a fund
0: and have you as a company seen what they are asking for start to change have is that has that as it flow through to those conversations where they are they are starting to ask different questions
1: um thematically no but in terms of size of check yes naturally just because the market is a little bit more difficult to go raise a massive round right now i think most vcs have stayed pretty true to their area of expertise some of them may have moved slightly earlier so started going towards seed instead of series a but as a whole i would say because the whole market has corrected quite significantly I would say most people have stuck to their guns.
0: But in terms of kind of in the conversations that um, they have, just so, so, so okay. like you were saying, like with SAS stock, you know, that that there's a shift and you were surprised by that shift and encouraged to go to the next one. It was actually like the quality of that shift was discernible. When you're going out monthly, quarterly, are you seeing a mirrored or even just a, the beginnings of a parallel shift in the VC conversation, in the questions that they're asking, kind of their awareness of founder tech. You know, were well, like, like, is there is there oh, yeah. is, is there a shift in their awareness that um, might be different from say two three years ago when these kind of when they were just sort of stuck in their same model and that was okay because life was good as it were. You know, have you have you seen shifts in, in the kind of conversations you're having? Oh, Yeah, sorry, I misunderstood before. Um, for sure, no, hundred percent, especially around the
1: debt market. I think there was that famous Y Combinator note that c- came out towards the end of the first quarter of this year, right? And all of a sudden people realized that raising equity is going to be tough and there's going to need to be alternative means to that. Now, the drawback of going down a venture debt discussion is that that typically has to come alongside those equity rounds. The majority of the time, not always, but the majority of the time you'll see venture debt come along, come alongside equity. Now, the nice thing about what we do is we can we can just go in independently whenever, as long as the metrics are right for that business. And we can try and make sure that we're giving their founders the maximum capital efficiency and capacity that they can have to make sure that they can weather what is undoubtedly quite a difficult period um, in the tech ecosystem. I think the number of conversations when I reached out to people in February and when I reached out to them then that I could generate and the number of conversations I could generate when I reached out to them last month uh, I think you'd see a very diff I don't have a number in terms of like sure. what the conversion rate would be, but I think you'd see a very, very big uptake in terms of the number of people
0: that will have a conversation with me at least. That's super interesting. I mean, I, I mean, that's quite an interesting bellwether. I think that's going to only increase. And I think, you know, if it's even if it's just the climate opening up that conversation, it doesn't matter in a way because once you kind of insert the logic of what you're doing and it becomes compelling, then it becomes part of the conversation, right? So it, it does seem like in this space, there's like a lot of intransience and a lot of kind of, this is the way we do it, but then the minute a better solution comes along, because I think overall the market's looking for efficiency wherever it can find it, right? On the founder and investor side. So the minute something new comes along actually does generate that efficiency, even for the first movers, they can then shift behavior quite quickly because everyone goes, well, that's how I'm gonna do it. And once that starts to happen, everyone kind of comes along for the ride and and I think it sounds like that's kind of where you are as a company like you're on that kind of cusp of maybe you know if we were to speak in a year then that shift feels like would have increased significantly did you do is that kind of where you see things are at like the pulse of kind of where you are 100% I think
1: both simulated by economic downturn it caused us to become a bit more innovative and start thinking about What is the true product that we want to be putting in front of people? And what is the true product that people want? Um, And at the same time, there's a lot of new entrants to our market, right? So they really keep you on your toes. You've got to make sure that you're constantly coming out with new things that are attractive to founders. Because otherwise, you can be that outdated funding model very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, It's both exhausting, but also very exciting at the same time, I have to say. Um, And that's really what stimulated us into SaaS, right? If you saw Uncapped in January, you would have looked at us as a purely e-commerce funder. And that would have been a very fair assessment. Um, our capability is to cover the entire ecosystem and the speed at which we've been able to build that. I, I find super impressive from the team um, behind the scenes to, to really roll out new products at such an efficient rate. The challenge now is, like, what's the next step? And quite honestly, it's very difficult to know what our market will look like in a year. It might be a completely different landscape. Um, Fundamentally, what we're really focusing on is trying to make sure that all the debt that we are putting out is super sustainable and really, really responsible loads on the founder because we don't want to overwhelm businesses and we don't want them to hit difficult times because of the debt burden that they take out with us. Our big focus is about being fair and making sure that we give the right amount to the right founders at the right time.
0: So let's let's talk about, we've come to sort of the end of our, um, our time. Um, let, let's talk about the ideal SaaS company that's out there right now. And they're listening to this. Who is that person? If you could paint that persona for us, and then like, how do they engage with you? If you just kind of talk about that, so someone listening goes, "Ah, oh, that's me. I, I know how to do that. I'll, I'll contact Justin in this way. Like, what's? How does that work? And who are they?" Sure.
1: So, as an immediate need, I think the most underserved early stage founders are probably those between. 1 to 10 million ARR for SaaS lending. I think before doing 1 million ARR, you haven't necessarily got the product market fit to be taking out a loan because yeah. a loan is a big responsibility. I think your money before that needs to be equity money realistically, unless you're a founder that's able to bootstrap, of course, which it's a slightly different model to what we're discussing here. But like, I have so much respect for the people that are able to do that with their businesses and grow them sustainably. I think it's super cool. Um, But with regard to what the ideal customer for us or what the ideal founder for us looks like, I think that one to 10 space, if you're looking to try and move the lever, if you're trying to hire some developers, if you're trying to hire some salespeople, or if you just want some runway extension to make sure that you can weather the storm of this difficult period and you don't want to go to market to raise, I think that's a really good time to engage with us. As I said, I think earlier in the pod, I don't. I really would recommend founders to be proactive around their debt management. I don't think it's a last resort. I don't think it should be the last thing that you look to in terms of like, what is, the, what is the final piece of capital that we can get in the business would be? Because as a lender, you need to see runway to be able to feel confident in putting money into a business. But at the same time, the kind of businesses that I really, really want to talk to are the ones that are trying to look towards profitability or profitable i really don't think you need to be profitable but i want you to be able to change something if you want to be and then all of a sudden you could be in two three months time but, so the businesses that want to look towards profitability profitability is not an absolute must for us not at all but i want to see positive unit economics so you can shift a lever to become profitable should you wish and at the same time we're not exclusive to VC money So if you're going out and you're trying to raise a round at the moment and the valuation is not necessarily what you were hoping for, there's nothing wrong with supplementing that with debt and maximizing your capital efficiency off the back of it. In fact, we love to lend to businesses that have just raised because it gives us a lot of confidence in the business. Just because of a runway perspective, we can be much punchier in terms of size. And I've spoken to so many founders in the past two, three months that have just raised a round and come around to me and said, that was a really, really horrible experience. I don't want to have to do that again in the next twelve months. Um, and that's why they've been taking these runway extension loans with us alongside their equity deals. So so look, I think I think there's a whole plethora and we're really flexible in terms of who we want to work with, how we want to work with them. But I would just encourage people to just explore optionality because there's not only one option out there. It's about having conversations with a lot of people and figuring out what's best for your individual business at the time that you're trying to get that money in the door.
0: Does it also work on the flip side that if you are in the middle of raising a round, but you have the right metrics and runway um, for you guys to you know, to be able to evaluate and take it seriously, that you can then raise some finance and then leverage that and kind of extend your round negotiations as well. It kind of decompresses that as well and maybe enables you to get a great evaluation because you're not under so much pressure. That, that, that must be true as well, right? That's exactly right.
1: Um, we've been doing a lot of those recently. So... Just providing that basically bridging facility to the next round, so that founders can continue to operate and not worry about the cash flow of the business, but know they've got that equity check coming in in two, three, four months time. Like that is that's been a really common use case over the past few months.
0: That that makes sense, right? That feels like a natural inflection point. Where you, everybody knows, or at least knows someone who's been through that, like kind of large arrays, and it always takes longer, and all, all the you know, familiar tropes around it, to be able to kind of just give that some breathing space and, and through you guys, and then go back to your funders and go, do you know what, this can take three months, we want to do it properly like you, you know, you almost like align yourself to the timeline. That has to obviously increase your negotiating positions, your well-being, confidence of your team. All of those things must get better, right? So it makes sense that that's a huge um, touch point for you guys. For
1: sure. I think that's a really nice way to put it as well, about building confidence within the team and just knowing that you've got that money there, should you need it, even if it's just the rainy day fund.
0: Yeah. Okay, well... I think it's so interesting because, you know, as so we've started to talk to people who are in the venture space itself and using founder tech, you know, different tools, different platforms, different levers to change the venture system. It, it, it's again, you know, we're seeing the same kind of patterns come out in very different different ways, but there are similarities. So it's, it's really fascinating to have had the opportunity on you know, this episode to kind of take a peek into what you're looking at. Um, you know, in your in your area, in a, an aspect of that ecosystem, and kind of to hear the changes are kind of being mirrored, um, and 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 also just to kind of project where that might might, might lead in two three years time. I, I often go back to say the, the the compelling thing for me around this conversation is to imagine. Okay, if we rewire, rewire everything so it all behaves properly on these kind of like I, I don't mean lower va- value as in kind of you know, as in they're not valuable, as in like humans don't add much to them and everything starts to flow properly, just like you were describing, where does that lead us? And I think maybe I'd love to kind of get your, to close your your um your thoughts on where this may all take us in like you know it, let's say five years give it enough enough time and then if you can finish as well on like how people can best to reach you we'll put it in the show notes but just yeah just your view on like where does this all take us in five years time what does it look like in five years time you know uh, you're at sas stock in five years time. What what's the conversation there and then how do they best reach you yeah okay so, so yeah
1: so i think we'll start to see more and more founders moving into that what are the real world problems that we want to sell uh, solve and what are the solutions that we can provide to do that i think we've seen so much stuff and focus on the intangibles over the past 18 months and a lot of people will say that was probably a recession warning or a bubble warning yeah. um but what i've been really inspired by recently is I've been speaking to so many founders who are really trying to go, okay, how do I make my business a need-to-have as opposed to a nice-to-have, which I think is a really nice shift back. And hopefully, five years later, we will see the same paradigm shift that we saw after the back of 2008, where you're getting these massive companies built in what is, a def- what is definitely going to be a time of economic difficulty. Um, realistically, in the long run, I hope that the venture market picks that up because I think it's really important. And I think there's so many exceptional founders entering the market at the moment um, with that same mindset. But I suppose time will have to tell whether we see the shift back to the end of 2021 and back to a focus on perhaps less pressing matters that perhaps the ecosystem had been focusing its attention towards. So if you want to get, if you want to get a hold of me after this, the best way is probably on my LinkedIn, which I'll get Dan to drop in the show notes or my email, which I might not drop in the show notes, but I'll say on here is Justin at we are uncap dot com. But yeah, I would love to hear from anybody. I'm I'm super interested in just talking about this subject because it's sort of what I live my life for at the moment. So really keen to chat to any founder that just wants to learn about it or likewise any VC that is not really that up to speed on how the debt market is working at the moment. Really keen to just jump on a call and, and just chat.
0: As I said, it's fascinating to kind of peek into this aspect of the venture space and how tech is kind of starting to inflect it, and how it kind of joins the dots to other parts of the conversation. So, thank you so much for for sharing that. It may, it'd be really fascinating to pick it up in a year's time to see where it is. I think out of all the conversations I've had, I get the sense of next year, like in 12 months, it's going to be a, a long time and lots going to happen. And I think, you know, I think I think the market is going to shift more and more um, towards what you're doing. And I particularly like, you know, the non dilution capital and the idea of when you're raising a raise, yeah, you know, giving yourself more breathing space and leveraging your 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 timeline, your capability. I think that's absolutely fascinating. But time will tell, right? Where where this will land. So, thank you, Justin, for for your time. Um, it's it's really appreciated.
1: No problem at all, and thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Dan.